0: Hello everyone and welcome back yet again to the Wear Monk Podcast. My guest on today's episode is Ani Manian. Ani is an executive and entrepreneurial coach and the author-founder of Scale with Psychology. He's also a fellow podcaster and one of the bright lights as far as personalities who have had the privilege of meeting on my own podcasting journey. Ani and I sat down and discussed some of his personal experience and philosophies On what is holding most entrepreneurs back from reaching their next level of success, and how psychology and our own personal beliefs and narratives play into those limitations. I know you're really going to enjoy today's episode of the podcast, but before we get into the conversation, I'm going to take a minute to tell you about my partnership with 10,000. As a military veteran and a strength and conditioning coach, much of my adult life has revolved around my fitness routine. And just as in the military and picking good equipment for a mission, I only pick the highest quality clothing in the gym that can keep up with my high demands as far as quality and durability go. 10,000 has the best athletic apparel that I've found on the market, and I'm glad to have them sponsoring the Warrior Monk Podcast. My personal favorite is their versatile shirt. It has a great fit and finish, It's moisture wicking, doesn't chafe or stretch, and it even has an anti-odor treatment that keeps it from carrying body odor in the fabric even after you're done wearing it. If you want to get a 10,000 Versatile shirt or try any of their other quality performance products, just go over to www.10,000.cc and use code LRADFORD15 to save 15% at checkout. That's L as in Lance, R-A-D-F-O-R-D-1-5, save you 15% at checkout. You'll get yourself some high quality performance gear to take to the gym And it helps this podcast keep going. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Ani Manian. Ani, thank you for joining me on the Warrior Monk podcast. I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, We connected a couple years ago through a mutual person in our life, someone obviously very special to you, your partner, Lee, but she's uh, been a close family friend of mine for a long time and she was a guest on my podcast um, so I'm really glad to have you on now and uh, to discuss some, some really cool topics with you today. So thank you for joining me.
1: Pleasure to be here, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for anyone who doesn't kind of know a little bit on your background, you really have stepped into the world of um, helping entrepreneurs, helping business people um, kind of take their mindset and take their business to the next level. Um, can you tell me if you were to kind of like summarize a little bit of, of what you do professionally? How would you how would you put it in words?
1: Yeah, this, so the official tagline is "I help uh, entrepreneurs scale their businesses exponentially by optimizing their psychology." And let me explain why that is what I focus on. Because for many years, fifteen years, I was architecting the growth of businesses um, in about a dozen different industries through the conventional levers. So business strategy, product strategy, marketing, uh, training sales teams. And what I found was that, and these were all you know really well-funded startups, and regardless of how much funding they had, regardless of you know, how good the team was, regardless of how perfect the market opportunity was, how weak the competition was, it didn't really matter the company's fortunes, the company's ability to actually achieve its potential basically came down to the founder's psychology. Mm. And I saw this over and over and over again. And I saw that a business basically becomes limited by the founder and particularly the founder's psychology because their psychology is, it's upstream of every single decision that they make. And the results in a business are basically the summation of all the decisions that are made in the business. And, you know, even if you think about the employees, if you think about the leadership in a business for larger companies, the selection of those people is also predicated by the founder psychology. And a lot of times, you know, founders, entrepreneurs, when they hire, they hire in their likeness, they hire, you know, within their blind spots. And these blind spots basically create... All the challenges, all the issues, all the waste, the inefficiencies, and all the ways, um, you know, someone takes a good idea and tries to bring it out to market, tries to build a team around it, and takes a much longer path than necessary. Mm. And uh, so that's why I find that optimizing how someone thinks, the beliefs that someone has, um, what thoughts they operate from, what are their dominant um, emotional and mental states these things have just an outsized impact on basically everything that the business is able to achieve
0: mm. there's a lot to unpack there um, and I, I love that you include belief in that that piece as well right because I think a lot of times people think traditional psychology and it's it's very much rooted in um, you know the basic Freudian type stuff or, you know, kind of like cross analysis of, of your behaviors, um, and kind of like who you're interacting with. But I think that belief piece is so key, um, because it, it can kind of put up those limiting barriers. And I want to speak to even my very first experience with you, um, in meeting you in Austin uh, and having Leah on my podcast, you know you mentioned to me, you're like, what well, what do you want to do?" you know And I was at, at the time I was still active duty in the military and kind of trying to uh, set myself up for my transition of what I wanted to do next in life. and I was like, man i would I would love to podcast full time and and you know maybe do coaching or stuff like that. And in my mind, I already had that belief that that's like that's very hard to do, and it's not probably um, like achievable. And you like you broke it down very quick for me. You're like, look, all you would have to do is this, this, and this. And even just the fact that you you kind of crushed my immediate belief that it was like a, a complex, hard thing to do. And it made me think, I thought about it for days after that. I was like, Man, I guess it's not it's really not that complicated. I've just had this belief system in my in my head that doing it would be would be very, very hard. So I I, I appreciate the fact that you can personally the way you approach things is like immediately like let's take down those negative beliefs
1: yeah beliefs are really key beliefs are these constraints Mm -hmm. that we have around our entire being right and these beliefs are primarily designed to keep us safe Mm -hmm. so there was a time when you know the idea of starting a podcast didn't occur to you or me and I remember at that time when I was listening to podcasts, I you know I was thinking I was identifying these people who had podcasts as um, as very different from me, mm. and that entire world was completely opaque to me, right? And there was a belief in there somewhere uh, that basically said that's not me, mm-hmm. right? I it was not only not something that. I had a belief around that, oh, this is totally easy. This is totally possible until I actually did it until, you know, I'm sure the same was true for you. Mm -hmm. But there's also the other big piece when we talk about psychology, which is someone's identity. So it's also not part of our identity, how we saw ourselves, right? We didn't see ourselves as podcasters. Mm -hmm. We didn't see ourselves as insert whatever title here. So, Beliefs basically appear to us not as beliefs, but they appear to us as truth. Mm. They appear to us as fact. So, um, the most insidious thing about beliefs is that because they appear as truth or fact, most of the time we don't know when there is a belief in place that's limiting us or keeping us from a possibility that we are trying to access. It just appears that it's not for us, it's too hard, it's too complicated. Um, we create essentially a rationalization to justify why that is not our reality in the present moment mm. and once you know someone pierces through that belief right like the example that you're sharing that's actually the beginning right it's not enough on its own because i'm sure you can attest with your experience the belief maybe was pierced that veil that blocked off that entire universe of possibility away from you was pierced a little bit, but you still had to take a lot of action. You had to do some research. You had to try some stuff out mm-hmm. and collect evidence for the opposing belief, right? which was, I can do this. It is actually doable. It's easy enough. So the reason is that whenever we have a belief that's limiting us in some way, right? And all beliefs are limiting beliefs because at our essence, we are basically sitting inside a universe of infinite possibility. And the reason why we have beliefs in the first place is to abstract out the complexity. Because if we as human beings um, didn't have belief systems that cut out things that were possible for us, then everything would be fair game. Sure. You, you know, could be a doctor, a lawyer, a dog walker, you know, funeral director, literally everything. And it'd be way too complex. So the human mind, the human psychology creates these guardrails, these scaffolds to basically limit the scope of our life to make it more manageable. Hmm. Unfortunately for most people, what that also does is it cuts out parts of the, if you imagine, if you ever played those video games, uh, parts of the map were grayed out. right Right? and you can only go through like certain routes on the map so it's like life is basically there's a thin narrow path available through the beliefs that are in place and the rest of the map is grayed out and there's so much evidence that we have accrued we've accumulated for those things to be true so if someone was told you know in third grade that they sucked at math you know, since that moment, they've been accruing and accumulating evidence for why they suck at math. And the evidence is downstream of that belief. And the evidence basically supports and confirms that belief. It reinforces the belief. Right. So the belief, literally in the brain, the neural networks that represent that belief get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And the stronger they get, the more, the easier it is for your brain to traverse that path and for you to repeat that to yourself right because at the end of the day a thought is just it's a sentence in your head Mm -hmm. when you repeat it repeat it repeat it and you collect evidence because once we believe something to be true we try to rationalize and justify it and we find evidence to prove why it's true even if it hurts us sure so now we have a, a lifetime of evidence that's collected to prove why something that limits us is in place And so even piercing it often for most people is the beginning of the journey because then we have to actually um, collect enough evidence for the opposite. Mm. We have to collect evidence in the direction of our desire in order to ultimately dismantle that belief completely and create a new belief in place, one that actually gives us what we want.
0: Yeah. So with... With that piece, you know, like you, you used the analogy earlier, piercing the veil, you know, it kind of, it starts the process. But how, how would you say, you know, someone can, can reinforce it, changing that belief system, kind of like change that neural pattern, especially talking about big things like transitioning to a new career, taking on entrepreneurship, starting a relationship with someone who may seem out of reach, these kind of things that so many of us have these kind of negative beliefs that we aren't capable or we're not able to do it.
1: So the beginning of all of this is one thing and one thing only, which is desire. Mm. Desire is the driving point of all human evolution, all human growth. Everything comes from desire. Desire makes the world go round. So in that experience that you shared, you, I saw in you a desire to do something, a desire to be something, a desire to put something out into the world. And at that moment, it was very far away. Mm-hmm. It was not accessible, right? It was out there somewhere <laughs> not mm-hmm. so that's not who I am that's those other people wouldn't it be cool if I could do that mm-hmm. uh, So it was just pure desire and there's nothing more beautiful than pure desire in someone. It's this um, this connection to a very different or slightly different possibility. Um, and what happens is that when we have desire, we create creative tension between where we are right now and that universe so you can almost imagine that every moment in our life every second or millisecond we go from one universe to another and for most people these universes are pretty much the same right so from one moment to another they're basically the same person they have basically the same thoughts uh, they have the, pretty much the same beliefs. Their behaviors, their habits are basically the same. You know, they uh, do basically the same things. They feel almost basically the same way. So over the course of their life, it's basically they're repeating the same uh, loop, the same program. Mm. Which brings us to the second thing. So first, we need desire. We need a way to create tension between where we are now and where we want to be. Right. And that's a very different universe. And in that universe, things are different. We are different, right? The world is different. Things look very different there. The tension between here and there is essential, right? The tension and the amount of desire we have creates the amount of tension. The distance that that reality is further away from where we are right now creates that tension, So you take a kid who wants, who looks at Michael Jordan and wants up to, grows up to be um, a really famous basketball player. He's been burning with this desire for decades, right? He's been reinforcing this desire and just creating a furnace inside himself, Mm -hmm. you know, watching um, these basketball matches and really practicing and tending to that. And that tension is so high That every time we experience tension like that, we have to try and resolve that tension. Mm -hmm. And this is true in everything. So tension seeks resolution. So what happens is that we try to resolve the tension with action. Mm -hmm. Now, this action creates movement or progress towards this possibility, towards this other universe where we actually have fulfilled this desire. Now this is the beginning, right? This is the genesis. Having I have a desire. This this having this desire creates tension in me. It pulls me, and this could be as simple as I want to quit uh, smoking cigarettes, or I want to get in shape and start working out, or you know uh, I feel lonely and I want to go out and meet someone and you know find a partner, uh, or I want to. This job sucks. My boss is. Um, very micromanaging and i you know i want something i want to do something else or starting a business or Mm -hmm. starting a podcast right whatever everything begins with the desire so we have a desire the desire creates tension inside us the tension inside us seeks resolution resolution comes from action Mm -hmm. so we start now taking action now what happens is that for most people the limiting beliefs the fears all of these things hold them back from taking action or taking action consistently, right? right? Some part of them is holding them back. Some part of them is saying, hey, I don't think this is for us. I don't think we can do it. I think this is too hard. I think this is too complicated. Uh, we don't want to fail. Now, that mechanism is basically the part of us that wants to keep ourselves safe. We all have um, a drive to stay in the familiar, to stay in the known. Right. To stay as who we are, right? So this is the counterweight. So there's a part of us that wants to go out there into that reality that we were trying to create. There's another part of us that wants to stay right here. That's mm-hmm. like, nope, I'm not going. I'm not I don't want to quit the cigarettes. I don't want to start the business. I don't, you know, I nope, nope, nope. And this part of us is mortally afraid of changing because it wants to stay safe. And safety is found in the comfortable, predictable known. Even if in the known, in the status quo, in being, continuing to be who we are, it's we're suffering. It's painful, right? So you have the stereotypical case of the woman who's in an abusive relationship. But she, you know, leaves and keeps coming back. She leaves mm-hmm. and keeps coming back, right? We have this drive to... Replicate the familiar, even if the familiar is painful. So, there's a part of us that wants to create something new. There's a part of us that wants to stay the same. Now, what most people do is they try to outwork the part of us that does not want to go there. Mm. This is classic self sabotage, right? Someone wants to lose 20 pounds. It's January. They have a big epiphany. They make a decision. They start going to the gym. You know, that willpower that drive starts waning, and it reaches the level of their internal resistance to changing, and eventually the internal resistance wins. They sabotage the diet or the efforts to go to the gym, and they're back in the same place. Now, the people who are able to make that change successfully go from one universe to another, they a find a way to reduce or completely collapse that internal resistance that keep that keeps them uh the same by having so much desire Mm -hmm. that they can overcome it right or they knock out the legs from that table they allow themselves to feel safe in that new reality they are able to be really present with themselves they're able to reparent themselves because it's usually an older younger child part of us that Mm -hmm. is afraid of change right and that And so this resistance has to be melted for us to step into a new reality. And there's a number of ways to do that. There's a number of ways to make that new reality more familiar. So um, we can visualize, for example, that new reality over and over and over again till it becomes familiar to us and just as familiar as the old reality we're trying to leave behind. We can work with um, the part of us that is afraid of change, and we can dialogue with it. We can be with that part of us, and we can slowly soften that resistance. So, the the pullback isn't as strong, and we can sail more smoothly towards what we want. But the const the thing that is always required is action, because at the action that we take towards what we want it builds our Um, our sense of self in terms of who we are. So the identity piece that I was talking about, which is the organizing principle of the human mind, the human psychology, the human psyche, the identity is basically who I think I am, right? So if someone's going from, uh, you know, being someone who smokes a pack a day and they want to quit cigarettes, they're going to have to shift who they see themselves as. They have to become someone who doesn't smoke, And so the way to do that is we have to collect enough evidence to being that kind of person. Mm. So that takes sustained action, right? It takes sustained action and it takes a commitment to that new reality. And this is often the, the easiest, most sustainable way to make a big change to create something, you know, extraordinary in life. Because unless we address these core principles of identity, of that internal resistance and self-sabotage, having enough desire, making this unknown, unfamiliar thing that we're trying to create so familiar, so real, um, so accessible that, you know, it feels like switching um, the channel on the TV. You know, it can be very hard, unnecessarily so, to, you know, go from one status quo in life to another in whatever domain it might be. Sure.
0: So what this kind of relates a lot to what I think about with the veteran community is um, this kind of fear of change, right, for so many guys and gals to get out because you've come from this highly structured system. There are rules and regulation in place everywhere and people get out and sometimes, you know, they enter the job market and they translate their skills that they maybe got in the military into something in industry. But a lot of times people – Really have that desire to completely break away from the structure, and they want they want to do entrepreneurship. They want to start their own business. And it's such a polar opposite because you go from having all the support and the logistics and everything in the in the military you know machine with all these cogs to kind of almost bring, being in free fall. So for people that have that desire that are building that tension, um, what would you tell them to like kind of break through some of these psychological limits? How to break through that resistance?
1: so you said a bunch of things and i want to address all as many of them as possible because there's a lot in what you said so first you know we have to recognize that going from being in the military to being out of the military those are two very different universes Mm -hmm. in one you know there's a sense of identity there's a sense of purpose Mm -hmm. there's a sense of safety there's a sense of structure and all of it is externally imposed so that You know, going from that to, as you, the word you use is beautiful, being in free fall, because all of that external accountability, all of that external structure goes away. And now this person's basically um, left in often what feels like chaos. Mm -hmm. So the first thing to do is create um, what I call is an internal management system. So an internal management system is um, what I call this internal structure that we create um, that's psychological in nature that allows us to um, regulate ourselves, It allows us to have a basic structure to our being. Mm-hmm. So it's as simple as, okay, I you know, go to bed by ten, I stop eating by seven, uh, so I can get good sleep. I you know I wake up by seven. I brush my teeth when i wake up i hydrate when i wake up Mm -hmm. right instead of um imagine um i go to sleep at 2 a.m you know some nights other nights at 3 other nights i stay up all night um i wake up when i feel like it i wake up and eat a bag of cheetos and (laughs) drink you know soda uh start drinking alcohol at 10 in the morning and there's that's basically chaos right Mm -hmm. and what that that second example is missing is some level of order right so the first thing that someone going from you know being in the military where all of the structure is being created externally is that they need to create that structure internally Mm -hmm. they have to create an internal management system and by the way even take military aside One of the biggest things that I see holds entrepreneurs back from being successful is that most people lack an internal management system. Mm. Most people are internally in a state of chaos. And because they lack this internal management system, there isn't enough order to their being in their psychology. So things are very chaotic, things are very disorganized. And they literally cannot manage everything. Mm -hmm. Because starting a business, Basically means you're first of all taking fundamental responsibility for yourself. Then you're actually taking responsibility for the problems of strangers. And then if you're you know somewhat successful, you're then taking responsibility for other people who will be your employees. Mm-hmm. So it's this ever-increasing ladder of responsibility. And most entrepreneurs do not have the psychology that's optimized to handle that higher level of responsibility they're basic they're barely handling themselves mm-hmm. right they're basically taking care of their own bodies they're um they're barely working out they're barely eating clean they're barely hydrating enough um you know most entrepreneur are you know they're stressed they're anxious they're over caffeinated uh their sleep is garbage they don't get enough sunlight uh they, their bodies are stiff um and you know they're in hustle mode most of the time, because that's what they think need you know is required to generate that amount of success, which works up until a certain point, but then you know typically what I see is they have some sort of health scare, or they um, their partner you know gives them an ultimatum, or something happens that causes them to reevaluate, and then the pendulum swings in the other way and then the, the pendulum swings back because there's this mortal fear of losing everything that they've built um and unless they change the engine that their success is fueling off of you know it it it's not sustainable so sure. once someone builds this internal management system they you know it's basic habits right can you have a good bedtime routine can you give your body proper nutrition mm-hmm. can you you know wake up consistently Hydrate, um, move your body. Once those physiological needs are met, then it—you know—entrepreneurship is basically uh, you take a skill and you use that skill to exchange value with someone, right? You use that skill to solve a problem that someone has, and this can be done in a million different ways. You can, you know, do a service. You can create a product. Um, service businesses are much easier to start because there's a lot less you know money required up front for inventory these days with the internet you know online service businesses pretty much anyone can start from their homes from a laptop Um, you know pretty low startup capital it's you know it's the easiest it's ever been in the history of humanity Mm -hmm. Uh, but it takes a certain level of you know someone needs to be pretty consistent in their ability to acquire a high value skill then they have to take the skill and they have to put themselves out there and this is hard you know this fear that comes up when we're you know taking a skill that we've cultivated and saying hey I can solve this problem for you it you know it costs this much so we have to exchange value in some way we have to deliver a result to someone and then we have to put an infrastructure around that because that's what a business is. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, we have to stop trading time for money, basically selling our time or selling our skills. And we have to, because that's not a business, that's a job, right? We have to, a business is an asset. So we have to create a system that generates that outcome rather than using our energy, our time, our skills. And so sometimes that looks like, you know, hiring people who will fulfill on the the promises that the business makes it could be you know creating a piece of technology it could be something else but we have to create leverage and how a business grows is when the founder of the business increases leverage and they might increase leverage by hiring people they might increase leverage by using media the way you're doing with the podcast you can you know record an interview and have it be out there for life and Over time, it increases in value because more people hear of it, more people share, more people like it. You can do it using code and you can do it using money as well. So you can, when you make money, you can hire people and you can, you know, buy stuff. And that stuff allows us to generate more value or buy back our time. And we increase the leverage we can operate with. And the more leverage we have, the more money, you know, the business can make without a proportional increase in the inputs it requires from us
0: sure I think one of the biggest pieces I took out of what you said there is and I think this this is probably important really important for anybody prior military or transitioning out of military is that routine piece um, you know with all of the all the structure falling away from that from the, the culture imposed by the military. It seems like regardless of what your skill set is or what the product that you're going to sell, uh, or even if, even if you don't know what it is yet, keeping that routine of, of that the military does impose on you getting up early, having a fitness routine, you know, having, having a plan, uh, and continuing to work towards that seems like it kind of lays the foundation for, for keeping that desire intention building in the right direction. And you, you, am I, am I understanding it correctly?
1: hundred percent. That's the foundational layer for anyone who is looking to accomplish anything that is, you know, not business as usual, not their default reality status quo. And, you know, coming from, um, this entrepreneurship is the journey of growing up. So even for someone who's not coming from a military background, um, we have all of these, you know, child and adolescent parts of us Mm -hmm. that are not cooperative, right? They're not the... I'm sure you you can imagine the child that um, wasn't parented well, didn't have a regular bedtime, um, you know, didn't have that basic structure. So they grow up and they have a hard time, you know, being consistent Mm -hmm. being focused being you know just doing the basic stuff so it's like trying to hang a coat on um a coat hanger that doesn't have the hands right there's nothing to hang it on
0: (laughs) so that internal
1: management system is required to hang everything else on top of Mm -hmm. so if someone cannot manage themselves they can't manage their own mind they can't manage their You know basic functioning it's going to be very hard to manage a business so that's where it starts and if someone's coming from the military you know they actually have a pretty good reference point for what that basic structure looks like Right. right they typically have you know they have a they wake up early you know they have a physical fitness practice of some sort um They're usually, you know, pretty disciplined, pretty strict with most things in terms of meal timings and all of that stuff. And, you know, all that energy and time that they were basically doing what they were told. Now they have to replace that by originating um, their own sense of purpose. So that's another thing that's really hard because it's like, okay, I just did what I was told. I, you know, they told me to show up at 3 p.m. here. I showed up right? I didn't have to think. The one of the biggest challenges with, you know, going from employee to entrepreneur, let alone, you know, military to entrepreneurship, is that we actually have to think for ourselves. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's and a
1: big one. there isn't someone, you know, telling us what to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, a lot of people really struggle with that. And often, you know, it, it's pretty lonely, because um, when we have a team, we actually have to, Um, know what we're doing for not just for ourselves but for other people yeah even when sometimes yeah even when sometimes we may not have any idea sure right Um, but while there's a chain of command in the military where orders sort of cascade downward Mm -hmm. um, with entrepreneurship sometimes you know we don't know what to do next we don't have a clear sense for you know, it's step one, step two, step three, because even though, you know, there's a lot of business models where, you know, you can get a a, a coach or a, a program of some sort that says, okay, start an e-commerce business. And here's step one, here's step in between those steps. You know, there's so much that happens. There's so much that has to happen. There's yeah. so much confusion and uncertainty and chaos. We really have to learn how to think for ourselves. We have to um, and this is another important piece. We need to know what our values are, mm-hmm. right? We need to know what's important to us because someone might have a value that they want to make as much money as fast as possible. Someone else might have a value that's family first. Mm-hmm. So if we don't know our values, then we cannot make good decisions for us, for ourselves. Sure. So we have to know, we have to understand what our values are because our values allow us to navigate it's the compass at sea Mm -hmm. so we need to know what we value because that helps us always align to our own deeper interests and now if we have an internal management system if we understand what our values are what trade-offs are willing to make and not willing to make what that does is it it compresses and it cuts the scope of decisions we need to make pretty some significantly mm. now not all business model uh, models are up for grabs right most of them aren't gonna uh, match our values they're not aligned so it shortens the the opportunity set and when we're able to focus on fewer choices mm. we can actually paradoxically make better decisions and mm. You know, entrepreneurship is also about consistently being able to do this because the, our ability to make decisions is what we get rewarded for as entrepreneurs. Everything from, you know, choosing the model, creating a brand, what kind of content we put out, what kind of problem we're solving, what kind of avatar we're going off. It's it's all decisions. So the quality of the decisions will determine the level of results that we get And, you know, most people are making these choices in terms of what kind of business they want to build without actually knowing what their conscious and unconscious values are, what their actual, you know, core desires are, uh, what are they willing to trade off? What are they not willing to trade off? And, you know, so the ultimate answer is actually to know, to know ourselves, knowing ourselves is the ultimate superpower in entrepreneurship, but also in life. So when we know ourselves, we not only know what we want, but we we can have a sense for you know the the ways that we get in our own way. You know, someone might say, okay, you know, I have an issue with discipline and consistency, and you know, maybe um, take choosing a path that requires me to show up every single day for a certain number of hours at the same exact time, you know, that might not be for me. Or if someone is very ADD or ADHD. You know, that level of, you know, machine like consistency may not be the right choice. They might choose something more creative. So knowing ourselves is the ultimate unfair advantage.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that that leads me to kind of want to step into a little bit because you've obviously you've taken a lot of time. You've taken a lot of consideration with how psychology applies to business. And you've uh, you've recently written a book. Uh, So first off, congrats on that. Because um, just like just like many other aspects of entrepreneurship now, like you said, it's the best the best time in, in human history to, to kind of be able to take advantage of so many things that we have access to, including lowering the limits to publication, but it still doesn't take anything away from the fact that writing a book is extremely challenging. So congratulations. Uh the, the title's called Scale with Psychology, correct? Yes. Thank you. Tell, tell me a little bit about, about it, please.
1: Well, I wanted to codify the The steps that I've taken with several hundred entrepreneurs in order to help them scale. And what I saw was that, you know, most entrepreneurs are, they look to grow the business by increasing the inputs into the system. Mm. We can, I take a very system centric approach to most things because I see everything as a system. So everything in the universe is basically a system. If you, are able to look at it in the right way so you as a human being you're a biological system Mm -hmm. and inside you there's a circulatory system there's a respiratory system there's all of these subsystems and like all systems there's an input to your system which is the food that you eat the people that you're around the you know amount of sunlight you're in and then there's an output to your system so when we look at entrepreneurs, founders, we can see them as psychological systems that consume certain inputs and produce certain outputs. And that output, basically, a lot of times for you know founders and entrepreneurs, goes in, into their business. But their business is also a system. And the business is a system where it takes certain inputs, mostly time, energy, effort, and capital from the founder, uh, and you know if there's other people working in the business, and it then produces an output. The output is revenue, profit, you know, goodwill for the brand, impact for the people that it helps. And when we think about scaling businesses, what most people do is you know, they, are, they think if they wanna grow, they just need to work harder. Mm. They think if they wanna grow, they just need to do more marketing or spend more on ads or you know, hire more people. So most people try to increase outputs by increasing inputs. Now, unfortunately, this doesn't work. This doesn't work because um, for most people, there is leakage, there's waste, and there, there are blocks inside their system. So it's, imagine you have a garden hose and there's a kink in the hose and you're trying to water your plants and there's only a trickle of water coming out. And your response to that is to, you know, open the tap even more, mm. right? That's a very inefficient way to do it. The most efficient way to do it would be to unkink the hose. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to create um, pretty much a playbook for entrepreneurs to un- unkink the hose on their business. So, so that they can actually produce a much greater output with a tiny fraction of an input. Because when a system is highly optimized and when someone has leverage then that's what's actually possible. And this is you know, absolutely necessary if as entrepreneurs who have a lot to manage, and it's an overwhelming amount of responsibility and, and just stuff to keep track of, if we want to have our time back, if we want to have freedom, which is why most entrepreneurs start their businesses, if we actually want to enjoy ourselves, our lives, our family and friends, and you know, if we want business to be sustainable, we, we can't, we have to get away from this paradigm of, you know, more is better. And unfortunately, that's what most entrepreneurs are stuck with un, until they understand that there is a kink in the hose. Um, and in terms of their personal performance, most entrepreneurs say they want a bigger business. They want to make more money. They want to be more successful. They um, want to make more impact, but they're actually lying to themselves The problem is that most entrepreneurs say they want more of these things, but there is a part of them that actually doesn't. And that's actually why they haven't created that in the first place. And so this goes back to this idea of self-sabotage, internal resistance, internal conflict that I was talking about, where we say we want something, but there is another part of us that's just really opposed to having that. Mm -hmm. And that part of us is basically... Um, pushing us in a different direction to where we want to go. And so when we have an internal conflict, it's like there's a tug of war inside us. And it is highly inefficient. There is a lot of internal resistance to doing the things that we know we need to, that would, you know, guarantee grow the business or stopping doing the things we know we need to do that would grow the business. There is this invisible force field that almost holds us back from doing those things because this is that internal saboteur. This is that internal sabotage. And so um, the analogy that I'll give you is it's basically like having a really, you know, imagine you have a Ferrari, right? And you're stepping on the gas, but you have a foot on the brake and you have the handbrake pulled and you're stepping on the gas, you're trying to go, but the car is not really moving at the level that you think it it would move, Mm -hmm. right? So most entrepreneurs have, Who've reached a certain level, right? Let's say they've, you know, hit two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year. They've established product market fit, as in they figured out a problem to solve that is messaged in a way that their market says, Yes, that's exactly what I want, and I'm willing to pay you for it. They have a track record of success. That they've actually done the hard part at that point. But most entrepreneurs who are at that level, they have their foot on the brake. And unless they can release that, the car is not going to perform to its potential. The car is not going to go forward. There's going to be a lot of engine damage that's going to occur. And the reason for that is, you know, going back to what I was saying before, when an entrepreneur does not have a solid internal management system, Mm -hmm. the next level of success is going to absolutely crush them. Sure. Because their level of organization, their level of structure, their level of you know, being able to organize stuff has not exceeded their ambition. We have to be able to... We ha- un- I have this quote, unless success feels safe in our system, we will sabotage it and call it fate. It's a spin on an old Carl Jung quote. Um, and the reason is, when we're already maxed out and overwhelmed, any more success is going to absolutely destroy us Mm -hmm. and i see this often with clients where it's going to destroy their health it's going to destroy their marriage it's going to destroy their relationship with their kids and their values are in conflict right right now the value the the, there's a different value that's in direct conflict with the business growing Mm -hmm. so what happens is that the business does not grow right and they're On top of that, they're really frustrated and they beat themselves up because what's wrong with me? Why can't I grow this business? And I see this all the time. So long story short, the reason why I wrote this book is because most entrepreneurs do not understand the root cause of why their business isn't where they want it to be, why their business isn't growing faster, why they can't scale or why they're scaling too slow for their liking. And once they understand, identify the root cause, then the entire process becomes so much easier. And I actually go over like seven ceilings that they hit along the way to exponential growth that they have to um, address because when we don't address these ceilings, it's almost like we hit an upper limit. So we get to a level, we hit an upper limit. And at that point, um, let's say the ceiling is the leadership ceiling. Now at this point, unless we evolve our ability to lead and manage people, We're not gonna grow anymore because we're only gonna be able to hire, coach, manage people at a certain level, and to get the business to the next level, I'm gonna have to really expand that, or I might hit a complexity ceiling where the stuff in the business is so complex, it's like multiple different products, multiple offers, a bunch of different channels. It's a it's a mess. And so, unless that mess, that complication is simplified and we take that focus that's diluted across a bunch of areas and collapse it into a singular point of focus, we're not going to grow, right? Sometimes it's actually um, the, the, the ceiling is the entrepreneur's relationship with themselves. They've been pushing themselves so hard. They've been stepping on the gas so hard that they're accruing a lot of wear and tear on their body and they don't have good boundaries. They're working around the clock they're you know not taking care of their um, their biological system they're not getting enough sun they're not getting enough rest and their system's overclocked so they're anxious mm-hmm. they're um, wired their body their nervous system stuck in a state of fight or flight and they've hit their peak so unless they address that unless they really take learn how to take care of themselves and build what I call a trillion dollar relationship with themselves mm-hmm. because another uh, piece here is that, most entrepreneurs create get to the f- top of the first mountain of success by beating themselves up by being critical, because most entrepreneurs are operating from a sense of deficit and having something to prove. So, what drives them is you know I'll show them you know I'll prove it to Dad that I was good enough. Um, I'll show those other guys, and I mean that works for a while to a point, you know, yeah. but it but it's not sustainable over the long term. So they have to switch the fuel source. Yeah. Um, they have to learn to be more compassionate, more empathetic. They have to, you know, learn to relate to their emotions better and stop gaslighting themselves. Mm-hmm. So all of these ceilings um, that an entrepreneur hits, this was my attempt to just put all of this, all these mechanisms of self-sabotage, all of these ceilings into one very digestible playbook. So someone can... You know, literally uh, read the book or watch it. I recorded it into a video or just listen to it and and get, you know, even if they understand, oh, wow, the reason why I'm not growing is because I'll give you an example of one of my clients. He was um, the CEO of the company, but he was also heavily micromanaging support, like tech support Mm -hmm. for the business, for the clients. And he had Slack open all night, which was next to his head at the bedside table with notifications on and Slack was going on all night and he would wake up to answer messages and his wife would keep waking up. You know, it was affecting the relationship. It was obviously affecting his health because he wasn't getting a good night's sleep. Right. And, you know, he was completely maxed out and... You know, when he came to me, he was like, we, you know, our revenue has been flatlined for four months. I feel like I'm failing the company. I'm not a good leader. And he was beating himself up on top of all this. Right. And so, but when he understood that, you know, the business growing anymore would basically mean getting a divorce because it was putting such a strain on every other aspect of his life, you know, or an unexpected trip to the ER he understood the architecture that he had created was simply not scalable, so we had to completely rearchitect his role in the business, how he related to the business, the level of you know urgency and scarcity that he felt, up leveling sort of what what he was working on because a founder should not be working in support <laughs> yeah. um and you know within I think four months, they forexed their top line revenues wow. and you know he freed up like fifteen hours from his from his week sure. and it's completely changed his relationship with his wife. It's completely changed. I, you know, make every client get an aura ring to track their sleep because sleep sure. is, you know, that key in yeah. terms it's of variable. To health
0: and performance. Yeah.
1: Dude, everything. So, you know, it's, what I found is that most entrepreneurs are trying to solve the wrong problem. Right. Right. And, you know, this is my way of helping people on as broad of a scale that I can, and I'm going to keep pushing that envelope by helping them understand what the actual problem is. Because if we're solving the wrong problem, we have no hope of solving the problem. If we yeah. are at least a little more close in, in terms of understanding what the problem actually is, then we can actually do the thinking and we can figure out the resources we need to solve the problem, you know, overcome the the challenge resolve
0: the bottleneck and actually move forward absolutely Man, you've, you've got so much experience, Ani, with, uh, with what you've done and, and who you've dealt with. And, uh, I mean, just, just that alone speaks for itself. You know, somebody's, somebody's business turning around and within the matter of two, two, one or two quarters forexing, you know, <laughs> what the business is making. I mean, that's, that's crazy. But I, I want to ask you kind of personally, you don't, you don't have a traditional background of probably what a lot of people think about. There's no, there's not an MBA from, from Harvard or Yale or something like that. You've, you've, had a very unorthodox, um, path to where, where you've come professionally. Can you speak a little bit to where, to your origins and how you've kind of gotten to where you've gotten?
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's definitely been an unorthodox journey. Um, I, I was born in India, in New Delhi, uh, to two people who were very poor and very, very stressed (laughs) Um, because they were working multiple jobs, you know, trying to make ends meet. And um, in fact, my my mom conceived after a couple of years after I was born, but my dad convinced her to get an abortion because they couldn't afford another child. Mm. And, um, Which is, that's the, was that's such a uh,
0: tragic decision to have to make based on, the, you know... Yeah, I only, we can't I afford only found out the when...
1: Yeah. Right, I only found out after my dad passed away. And it wasn't even my mom who told me, it was my aunt. Um, and it was, you know, it was... I I mean, I remember growing up and really wanting a sibling because, you know, I'd come back from whatever preschool uh, when I was four, four years old. And um, my both my parents were at work. And um, I, you know, let myself in and my mom would have made food. And uh, I just you know, hang out and wait for mm-hmm. her and I like missed the shit out of her. So some days I drink, uh, this fever medication that would make me drowsy just so, you know, You're time right. would pass.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. A- and, you know, so I, a bunch of stuff happened. It was, um, obviously a very, um, stressful, intense experience for, for my folks, I mean, I think my dad was pretty unprepared to have a child. He was like, fuck, one more thing to be responsible for. And and a, lot uh, of, a lot of
0: men in the world sit in <laughs> that boat. A lot of, too many, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, and, you know, society doesn't really um, provide any resources to mm-hmm. navigate that. Um, and, yeah, it, there was a, just a lot of conflict um, in my home. And... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uncertainty, we would move every six months um, and there was a lot of chaos and there was, you know, somewhat of violence as well and um, when I was, you know, I was, it reached a peak and I was suicidal between the ages of six and seven, I tried to kill myself multiple times the last time, um, I killed myself or I didn't, I almost killed myself. Um, I I guess I killed a part of me (laughs) on some level. Um, I had this, um, I had this, this experience of New York, uh, almost as an intelligence being like, Oh, you don't have to do that. Just come here. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Hmm. Okay. Um, so that seed of an idea just uh, germinated and i ended up um using that as hope and as a potential savior you know after school studied for the sat's i wasn't very good at school because i couldn't memorize anything for shit um my memory just doesn't work that way so it was uh pretty rough because my dad was uh you know at that time Uh, uh, you know, he would drink a lot and he would be pretty physically abusive and, uh, it was not fun to, you know, put it, um, and yeah, I didn't, I didn't really feel like I belonged. I didn't really feel like I was wanted. I didn't really feel enough. You know, you can take the, I was depressed. I was, I had attention deficit issues, uh, which is all, you know, an offshoot of childhood trauma Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you can imagine the full package of, uh, of dysfunction and, uh, you know, pain and suffering compounded into one package, and that was me. Mm-hmm. Um, but my desire that, you know, was going referencing the earlier part of our conversation, my desire for um, freedom was so high that I studied for the SATs, got a 15 99th percentile, um, had universities fly over to India to interview me. Um, there was one that offered me a full ride and pretty much paid me to go to school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when I was 17, I flew to New York and that was my, you know, ticket out of, yeah. um, you know, the place that I was trying to leave behind so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, New York was, uh, you know, that, that MBA that you referenced, the school of, uh, hard knocks and <laughs> yeah. all, all the knocks <laughs> yeah, and, um, but it was, you know, the, the coolest thing was that it was, there was no history there. I had no history there. No one knew me right. as anything. Yeah. And, um, I found, I found a way to use that to devastating effect. Hmm. Um, when I was, you know, 19, I was, so between the age of 17 and 19, I, you know, had all sorts of jobs: washing dishes, painting houses, um, you know, doing moving jobs, um, tutoring in subjects that I didn't know. I would <laughs> or, order the book like two editions older on eBay because they were like two three bucks, and uh, you know, study a chapter and then go tutor someone. Right. Uh, and I, you know, when I was nineteen, I was. I talked myself into a position at a at a hedge fund and I was doing operations for the hedge fund, getting paid you know eleven bucks an hour, but I was making them close to nine hundred grand uh you know a quarter right. um, you know went from that to working in Wall Street to you know a tech startup and it was just a you know a series of um, of of moves all optimizing for um you know, growth learning and, you know, some level of financial security yeah. um, because, you know, for the longest time that was my driving force because that I I grew up in the opposite of that. And sure. all my conditioning was like, you know, this is the path. And eventually I reached the top of that path and, you know, realized that I was still not happy. I was still pretty depressed and uh, I didn't really, like myself very much i couldn't really be alone with myself and you know it also coincided with my dad um getting really sick and eventually passing away and you know i I was cremating his dead body and i realized that there were so many ways that i was like him and ways mm-hmm. that i didn't like ways that i liked as well but you know it was my in a way we all get a few wake up calls and that was a huge wake up call for me and i I realized no amount of money, wealth, financial success would would matter if you know i didn't really fundamentally feel at peace with myself if i didn't love myself sure um, and yeah, that sent me down a a journey to uh really know myself. I basically yeah. became a monk, meditated for you know six, seven, eight hours a day, just completely disconnected from. You know, everything I was doing, all my social circles and um, through a series of experiences w- ended up in a, a state of, you know, I'm, I'm going to call it pseudo enlightenment because, you know, it, it's a loaded term these days, but right. I was basically living for years in a state of bliss. Um, and. I there, I didn't feel, I had also given away most of my money because I didn't want my uh, internal sense of safety and worth to be tied to anything external. Mm. So, but I was, yes. you know, I, I just was living in this state of bliss and everything was perfect. And I, I got to the place that I think a lot of people try to get to, yeah. where they're seeking the end of suffering. And I got there and I realized that that was not, the the destination it was actually the the beginning of the journey mm. because th- there was no purpose or value being there um i needed to bring that whatever that was mm. um to as many people and and be an ego again sure. because the hard part is not you know letting go of the ego the hard part is not dissolving the ego transcending the ego the the hard part is being an ego the hard right. part is being a healthy ego right, right? reintegrate all the problems it. we see in society yeah yeah exactly yes. and so you know it's 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 not a coincidence i think that so much of my work is with entrepreneurs is helping them be an ego mm. but be an ego in a more healthy way and you know resequencing their developmental paths so that all of these parts of themselves that are misaligned, that are driving in opposite directions, they come into a state of harmony and they can fully be themselves. They can fully actualize themselves. They can actualize their potential, what they're here to do, who they're here to be. And they can do that from love because you know, we can create a lot from fear. We can create a lot from um, hate. We can create a lot from the sense of not enoughness. You know, There's a lot we can do and we see that in the world, but the end product doesn't taste the same. <laughs> and, you know, I saw my dad tortured soul, um, you know, really spend his whole life trying to, you know, create financial safety and security, taking care of a lot of people. I mean, he, he was pretty shitty to me um at times, but, you know, he was extraordinarily generous and people loved him right Mm -hmm. and um but he he had the savior complex he wanted to save you know everyone sure and that was also a beautiful part of him um but he didn't really love himself enough right he got sick and you know he could have saved his own life with a transplant but he kept pushing to not you know get on the list and when he died he was number two on the list wow and you know no amount of money makes up for yeah.
0: <laughs> fundamentally
1: not being comfortable with oneself yeah and i see an epidemic today in society where people just they're not comfortable with themselves mm-hmm. there are parts of them that you know they can't stand they can't, they don't like they're trying to avoid their shame around and you know all of that is an illusion because we create all of these these barricades between us and this unlimited sense of acceptance and love because that's what the universe is made of that's what we're made of but when the ego isn't healthy when we're not fully integrated then there are all these jagged edges and we're not this unified whole (laughs) we're this fragmented jagged jigsaw puzzle all pulling in different directions all attacking each other and when there is this chaos this disorder this lack of internal harmony that reflects in the rest of our life externally so it shows up in the relationships it shows up in our health it shows up Mm -hmm. in the business we start it shows up in our friendships it you know so this work that I'm, you know, I'll probably spend the rest of my life trying to really understand and define, uh, and communicate in one sentence rather than a hour plus long podcast episode. Yeah. Um, you know, this is meaningful to me in, in 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 a deep way because you know this feels like the meaning of life itself. The meaning of life to me is, you know, learning how to be a person. I think that's why we're here, and to find our way, our unique expression of that Mm -hmm. you know and and doing so as gracefully as we can manage and so it's an extraordinary privilege to you know help others on that journey to being more whole to being more integrated to actualizing you know as much of themselves as possible and and falling in love with themselves and their life sure sure
0: i love that man thank you so much for sharing too with with where you where you come from because it it does it does make such a impact on who we become and the challenges that we take on and the things that we the things that we fight internally right like it's it's such a huge part of who makes us who we are whether whether it's whether it was Good memories or not, it's it's uh, it's so integral into, into making us who we end up becoming and in, in the decisions we decide to to make whether they're good or bad, whether to change whether to change or repeat the same cycles, right? Um, I've got to ask you a couple questions too, which is what I like to ask all my guests, and the first one is who's influencing you right now, and that could be you know someone in a personal relationship, uh, someone that you're reading, listening to, something of that nature.
1: So I um this is one of my cheat codes. Mm-hmm. I think this day and age the the amount of just knowledge mm-hmm. and people's experience that's available via audiobooks, podcasts, YouTube yeah. um is just absolutely staggering. And if someone wants they can completely reprogram who they are by just consuming um you know that kind of information um just in enough volume and you know we we people say we're the average of the five people that we spend the most mm-hmm. time with but you know in terms of media we can probably far exceed that right so i i am voracious in um in reading in in listening and um i try to consume as much you know information as i can from um all perspectives um because I think the highest form of intelligence is being able to hold a paradox. So, um, the internet, right. One sure. that's probably just a one big encapsulation,
0: yeah. but
1: I, sure. um, I try to learn from, you know, everyone I can, my partner Lee, like she's an inspiration in, in so many ways, the way she navigates life and the way she relates to herself. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I feel like this is, it's, it, it almost feels like too good to be true. Yeah. The fact that, you know, you can go on Amazon or Audible and have, you know, the, the best parts, the highlights and lessons of someone's, you know, 80 year old life compressed in for 10 bucks that you yeah. can consume in, you know, four hours. Amazing. It's like,
0: crazy. Yeah. What a time to be alive. <laughs> What a time to be alive. (laughs) So the next question is, uh, when you hear the term warrior monk, uh, what does that mean to you? What do you think of?
1: I think of someone who has access to all their power, Mm. power to create and power to destroy, but is able to be so grounded in it and be so calm and in control of it that they're able to wield it very skillfully i think every human being um, ought to cultivate those two archetypes the the archetype the warrior who can go out and rage and the archetype the monk who can you know sit alone in a room silently for Ten hours and be totally at peace. Yeah. And I think you know, I love paradoxes, and that that feels like a really beautiful paradox, one that you know we can spend a lifetime trying to really embody.
0: Sure, perfect. I love it. I, I get a different I get a different take from every person I have on the podcast, uh, but that's the first time I've heard heard it from you and I, I love your take on it so thank you um what's the ahead.
1: what's what's the best one you've gotten i'm curious
0: oh i don't you know i don't know if there's a there's a best one i mean it, it usually does you know come back to to people having the to, speaking to the paradox right to, to having the kind of yeah the, the the opposites the yin and yang um yeah and, but, you know, for some people, it, it, you know, they, they, they think of an image, uh, I've had like, you know, people thinking about like the Knights Templar or the Shaolin monks, um, you know, Masashi, um, uh, you know, has been, has been brought up too. It's, it's, uh, it, it seems like there's, a it's an archetype, right? Like where, especially I feel like, um, with men, not, not that as exclusive because we have plenty of warrior women out there too. Yeah. Um, but you know. You you're a young when you're a young man, you're full of testosterone and you what you do wanna rage. You wanna go out there and you wanna yeah. tear life apart. But as you yeah. as you fight in war, as you as you get knocked on your butt a few times, as you accept defeats and victories, your belief system changes, right? And then you kind of you start to wanna to embrace more of the monk and you wanna lay down the sword and you wanna um, you know you want to pursue the other aspects that that have to do with life other than the destruction piece um so the the duality of it is really what what it's about and and that's that's what life is supposed to be about right like you 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 can't live you can't live in in hate and rage and as much as we'd love to live in bliss and love throughout all of life it's <laughs> that's not it's not possible either like even you saying you know you you went to a space where you you were deep meditation spending a lot of time you know approaching approaching that space where you know suffering was on the edge of of nothingness but what do you then what do you do with it you've got to go you've got to go hand it off you've got to go teach it to other people you've got to you've got to go take the 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 wonderful parts of it and try to spread it throughout the world so um that's really i guess that's i guess that's maybe maybe me giving my own definition of it there for the first time on the podcast so thanks for asking the question (laughs) (laughs) well Ani, thank you so much today for joining me Uh, i've been wanting to make this happen for a while and i'm really glad that we did um scale with psychology where can people go if they want to either order the book or they want to get the audio video version where can they go to follow you
1: just go to scalewithpsychology.com or scalewithpsychology.com backslash book and you can find me on all the channels animanian a-n-i-m-a-n-i-a-n
0: awesome thank you so much again for joining me today man and i hope we can uh, speak again soon sometime in the future
1: i'd love that thank awesome. you for having me
0: Absolutely. Ani Manian, such a great guest, such a humble uh, spirit, and such a cool guy to talk to. If you are interested in connecting with Ani, if you want to get a hold of his new book, Scale with Psychology, if you want to listen to some of his podcast episodes, which all relate around the mentality to expanding yourself and getting out there, improving yourself as an entrepreneur, uh, taking on new challenges, please go check him out at scalewithpsychology.com. And there you can find all sorts of his content that he's been putting out for quite a while now. He's got a lot of great stuff, so go check it out. If you've enjoyed the Warrior Monk podcast, this episode or previous episodes, I would please invite you to go over to wherever you got this podcast, wherever you downloaded or listened to it from, whether that be Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, and leave us a review, preferably one that's positive, but of course, always open to critical feedback. Uh, Just let us know what you think. Can't improve anything unless you're getting feedback from somebody. Also, if you're interested, go check us out on facebook or instagram and shoot me a direct message if you either know someone that wants to be on the podcast if you want to be on the podcast if you have ideas for content for future warrior monk podcast episodes i would love to hear it and the final way that you can support the warrior monk podcast is becoming a patreon supporter please go to www.patreon.com forward slash wm podcast that's W as in whiskey, M as in Mike podcast. And there you can become a Patreon to the podcast and you can get signed up uh, with your contributions to get some cool Warrior Monk swag. Uh, we have some cool vinyl stickers, t-shirts and patches as well. Thank you so much for joining me yet again. Please continue to grow through balance. That's what this podcast is all about. And I appreciate you being here. This is Lance signing out.